And as you're seated tonight, I want, I want everyone to make sure they've got uh, the handout this evening. And uh, last, last time we met together, we concluded uh, our, our, our Bible survey. And so on the back table there, Brother Bruce, will you make sure that everybody's got one? Now, if you did not receive one, if you slip your hand up, we want to make sure that you get one. Uh, we're actually beginning something very, very important tonight, as if the Word of God itself is not important. Uh, but we look here and uh, we're beginning to go through our church's statement of faith. And uh, it's, I don't think we've ever necessarily preached through our church's statement of faith or, or taught through our, state, our church's statement of faith. Uh, there's been times in the past where we've read through it, but never gone in depth and explained certain things about the Word of God as we believe and hold to here uh, in our church. And so everything begins with the Bible. Uh, the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. And uh, as we look here, uh, notice we're going to read, this is an, ep- an excerpt taken from our church's statement of faith. The Bi- uh, it says, we believe the Bible to be the revealed Word of God, fully and verbally inspired of God. We believe the Scriptures to be, inerrant, infa- uh, to be the inerrant, infallible Word of God as found within the 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. We believe that God not only inspired every word, but that He has preserved them through the ages. We believe that the King James Version is the preserved Word of God for English-speaking people and is the only acceptable translation to be used in our church. And you see several, uh, several Scripture references there that describe and outline uh, the position our church takes concerning the Bible. And uh, we won't take a lot of time. This is not designed to be extremely in-depth, but we are going to focus on some important uh, doctrines concerning the Word of God tonight and even make, uh, make a few statements and application this evening. But uh, along with your handout, uh, every week, Lord willing, uh, we are going to give some key verses uh, that support uh, the doctoral positions of the church. Not only uh, do we find some of these in the handout itself, in the lesson plan, but uh, some additional verses that, Lord willing, will be uh, an an asset uh, to your faith as we learn and uh, become more grounded in what we know to be true about God and His Word. So like I said, everything begins in the Bible. Why is the Bible so important? Uh, Do we know anything about Christ without the Bible? Do we know anything about God outside the Bible? We know that God exists. We'll talk about that in a moment. But to know specifically who God is and His plan for our lives, His purpose for our lives, we would be completely ignorant to without the Word of God. And so we understand the great need and the wonderful value that God's Word brings uh, to our lives as, as, as Christian people. And so notice, uh, we begin tonight speaking about the doctrine of revelation. Now this is different than the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, that we talked about last week. Uh, But notice here, the term revelation means God communicating to man truths that were previously unknown and unknowable apart from God giving these truths to man. And so we find a couple of terms here under revelation uh, that that we are going to kind of focus upon tonight. The first concerning revelation is what we would call general revelation. General revelation. If you have your Bibles, if you please... Uh, turn to, uh, to Psalm 19. 
Psalm number 19, and we find here uh, a truth concerning the understanding of there being a God. And so general revelation uh, means this. It says, so through creation and our conscience, we understand the reality of God. We understand that there is a God. And so in Psalm 19, in verse number 1, a very popular verse, the Bible says there, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. Christians, we can look around, we can look up into the sky at night and, and, and see all the, all the stars in their, in, uh, suspended in their place, and we know that there is a God. Uh, I, I love to travel. And I, my wife and I, I remember on our honeymoon, uh, we drove out west. And one of, our, one of the best places to look up in the sky is in Arizona. And the, in the high desert of Arizona, you, you look, you, in the middle of the night, you look up and you can actually see the clouds in the Milky Way. It's, it is absolutely breathtaking. Friends, the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, we, we think of all of, uh, all of creation. God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we consider that, that God, even as we've looked in, in Colossians chapter number 1, speaking of Christ, for by Him were all things created, right? And by Him all things consist. He holds them in place. Turn, to, turn back to Psalm number 8. Psalm number 8. In in verse number 3 of Psalm 8, the Bible says, When I consider thy heavens, they're not ours. They're not anybody else's but God's. When I consider thy heavens, why are they God's heavens? They're God's heavens because God made them. This is God's earth. You and I are the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers... The moon and stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Christians, we we consider the the greatness of our God. And as we look around, we see the fact, we see the fingerprints of God everywhere we look. And uh, people will try to excuse God out of, of, of natural history, out of science, out of all kinds of out of every avenue and facet of life. But Christian, we cannot cannot discredit God. Uh, He created it all. And we call His creation a general revelation. We We generally understand that there is a God. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to to the book of Romans, in Romans chapter number 1, we find here another remarkable truth concerning the revelation of God. And so much so that God says that every person in the world is without excuse. You know, note, we cannot tell God that we did not know or that we did not have enough. We are without excuse. The Bible says in verse 16 of, of Romans chapter number 1, it says, uh, it help if I was in the right, in the right book. In Romans chapter number 1, and verse number 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation 
to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Notice, for God hath showed it unto them. God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, even, uh, uh, I'm sorry, being understood by the things which are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Everybody has enough to know there is a God. Just by what they see in God's creation. But we can even take that a step further. Remaining in the book of Romans, if you notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter number 2, we also find that God created us with stamping Himself in our conscience. Uh, In in Romans chapter number 2, note what the Word of God says. Uh, Actually, let's begin... In verse number 14 of Romans 2, it says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. So what does the law of God say? You know, we, we would, we, let's, uh, let's boil the law down to the Ten Commandments, okay? So what does the Ten Commandments tell us not to do? Thou shalt not have, any, well, that's, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Right? Uh, I'm sorry? No graven images. Remember the Sabbath day to make it holy. Honor thy father and mother. Uh, what, what's, uh, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now thou shalt not covet. Uh, right? And so we, we think of all the law of God. If you want to look in, in Exodus uh, chapter number 20, uh, we find the Ten Commandments stated, and then again, even in the book of Deuteronomy, they're stated again the second time. But, we, but why? How do we know? How do we know that it's wrong to lie? Do you ever feel bad when you lie? Why do you feel bad? Because God created you that way. He created, God created you to know right and wrong. How do we know that, why, why, why do we know that it's wrong to take someone's life? Because God created us that way. Why, why do we know that it's, that it's wrong to fornicate? Because God created us that way. Why do, why do we know that we're to honor our parents? Because God created us that way. Why do we know that it's wrong to, to take something that's not ours? Why is it wrong to steal? Because God created us to know that way. Look in verse number 15 of Romans chapter number 2. It says, Which show the work of, God, uh, work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. For uh, Christians, God, we know there is a God because of our conscience. Our 
conscience also bearing witness. General revelation, we know God generally through creation, through conscience. But then we also see another aspect of revelation. We refer to this as specific revelation. Specific revelation speaks of scriptures. So through the scriptures, we know God and understand the redemptive work of God. Look back, if you would, in, in Hebrews chapter number 10. In Hebrews chapter number 10, uh, the Bible speaks of, of God's redemptive plan. Uh, was it Graham Scroggy uh, de- described the Word of God as the unfolding drama of redemption? And uh, what, a, what a great, uh, what a great uh, truth that is. From Genesis to Revelation, it speaks of God's redemptive plan. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we find the first mention uh, of a coming Messiah. And, and we find that Jesus Christ is the central theme of all of God's Word. Every, every sacrifice in the Old Testament, every observance, every ordinance, every, uh, every uh, high day, every holy day, everything pointed to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the law. And He died in our place to pay the penalty for our sin, to rise victoriously from the grave and offer salvation to whosoever will, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. And we find here that that in God's word, we find God's redemptive plan. In in, in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 7, note what the word of God says there. It says, then said I, who's speaking? Who's speaking here in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7? God? Jesus? It says, Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. All of God's word points to Jesus. Last week we had a gentleman come and take several hundred of the John and Romans that we mailed out. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to him briefly and uh, I asked him if he went to church anywhere. He said, he said well, I went. I said, I, he said, I got kicked out of the Catholic Church back in, in the 70s for asking too many questions. And he said, so I, I, after I got kicked out of the Catholic Church, he said, I just went home and started reading my Bible. And I got saved. Friends, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Friends, Jesus Christ is the key subject of God's Word. And it's all about God's redemptive work. I'm thankful that we have God's Word, aren't you? And it tells us how we can know Christ is our Savior. But notice another aspect of the Word of God tonight, another doctrine of the Bible is the doctrine of inspiration. The doctrine of inspiration. The term inspiration refers to the manner and process by which God gave us His Word. And so, we find here, uh, under the the first section here, we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal plenary inspiration. This not only means that all the words are inspired, verbal, plenary, but that every individual word 
is inspired. Verbal plenary. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, of course, uh, this, these verses are a great authority on the inspiration of, of God's Word. In verse number 15, the Bible says, in 2 Timothy 3.15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. But if you look back in verse 16, that we, we find, we, we read the expression, uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration literally means God breathed. Just as we breathe, God breathed His Word uh, to these men of God who, who wrote it down. And uh, to describe that process, we, we can look in, in 2 Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter number 1, in verse number 19. The Bible says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as, a, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God God led them along. He bore them along. Turn to, to, to uh, 1 Thessalonians, if you would please. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And note what the Word of God says in verse number 13. As Paul converses or testifies of the faith of the church in Thessalonica, note what he says, how he commends them. In chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of God, ye receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. Mark that. As it is in what? Truth. The word of God. It is in truth. The word of God. Christian, you hold in your hands tonight the Word of God. Thus saith the Lord. Friends, we believe, we believe the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. But as we consider the doctrine of inspiration, we understand, note the second, second truth here, that Christ validates the Bible's inspiration. Christ Himself validates the Bible's inspiration. Though there are many internal claims and historical evidences of inspiration, the Lord Jesus Christ clearly stated the Scriptures came directly from God Himself. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 4. Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew 4, we find uh, the temptation of Christ. He's in the wilderness. He's fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And just like you and I would be, He hungered. Right? Because he was not only 100% God, but he's 100% man. So he, like us, was was hungry. In chapter 4 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. 
And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written. Where is it written? In the law? I believe in Deuteronomy chapter 8. But it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed it to men. They wrote it down, and we have it. Aren't you thankful that we have God's Word? We don't have to question the validity of Scripture. Although some people will. Some people, they might say, well, yeah, I believe that I believe that we had God's Word in the originals. Well, when have we had the originals? Yeah, I've never touched an original. I've never seen an original. Which brings us to the third doctrine we we look at tonight, and it's the doctrine of preservation. The doctrine of preservation. The term preservation speaks of the divine act promised and performed by God to protect and extend His Word to every generation. Christian, you have God's Word. And so we find in Scripture the promise of preservation. God promised to preserve His Word. And so if God is omniscient and omnipotent in inspiration then he certainly is in preservation. Amen? The character of the Scriptures rests in the character of God himself. Now, if turn to Titus chapter number 1, if you would. Titus chapter number 1. And if you've never marked this expression in your Bible, shame on you. You ought to. It'll help you. In Titus chapter number 1, in verse number 2, the Bible says this, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Friends, God cannot lie. And if so if God makes a promise, He will certainly keep that promise. God is holy. God is just. God is omnipotent. He is unchangeable. He's immutable. <laughs> He's pure. And God made a promise to keep His Word and to give us His Word. Turn to Psalm number 12. Psalm number 12. And I encourage you to mark these verses in your Bibles. You can even make a little cheat sheet in the front of your Bible. You can write these things down. Uh, It'll help you know where to find these particular truths. But in Psalm 12, in verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Look in verse 7. The Bible says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt do what with them? Preserve them. From this generation forever. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. From this generation forever, you and I 
have the Bible. Why? Because God promised that He would preserve it for us. We have God's Word. All of it. It's infallible. It's inerrant. And it is 100% applicable to our lives today. But notice the process of preservation. The process of preservation. How did God do it? How did God keep His Word? Well, in the Old Testament, God used the home, government, and religious leaders to multiply copies of His Word to the next generation. Turn to Deuteronomy, if you would, please. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. And note what the Word of God says in verses 7, 8, and 9. It says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And look in verse number 9. The Bible says, And thou shalt write them upon the posts of of thy house and on thy gates. God commanded the family. God commanded the home. God commanded fathers in the Old Testament to copy His Word so that their families would have it. Look also in chapter number 17. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, we see another another aspect of of this process. We talked about home, but now we move to government and religious leaders in Deuteronomy chapter 17. In verse number 18, it says, And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of the law, of this law, in, in a book, out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. Can you imagine how different our nation would be if all those in positions of power within the government had to copy the Scriptures? It would be amazing, wouldn't it? But God, that's the process of the Old Testament. We don't live in the Old Testament. We Thankfully, we're in the New Testament area. In the age of grace, in the, Bible, uh, in the New Testament, God has chosen the church to preserve His Word. You and I are the custodians of God's Word. If you would please turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we note what the Bible says in verse number 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 concerning our responsibility as a church. The Lord says, but if I, or I'm sorry, Paul writes, he says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You and I are the pillar and ground of the truth. What is truth? Pilate asked that question as Jesus stood before him. What is truth? That was an answer that Jesus had already provided. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He also prayed for you and, you and me in John chapter 17, saying, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You and I are the caretakers of God's word. Turn to Jude, if you would, please. Jude, verse 3. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and, to ex- and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It was once delivered, but it's to be contended for in every generation. And you and I are to be the contenders contending for the faith. Standing up for truth. You know, there are so so many other things we could state concerning the preservation of Scripture. But things, the battle for truth in 1860. Does anybody know what happened in 1860 that changed the course of, of, of Christianity? Does anybody know what happened in 1860? Westcott and Hort. How many of you have ever heard those two names, Westcott and Hort, put together? Terrible men. Terrible men. Not even Christian men. I forget which one, of, but one of them was an agnostic at best. At best. And they found in trash cans... Uh, and, and a trash can in a, in a Catholic monastery on the Sinai Peninsula, a manuscript of the New Testament that people refer to as Sinaiticus. And they found another manuscript in the trash can in, at the Vatican. And they call that one Vaticanus. And from these two corrupt manuscripts that omit all kinds of things, not to mention where they originated from. That's where every modern translation comes from. Except the King James Version of the Bible. You see, there's two lines of thought. We're not trying not to get too far in the weeds tonight. But there's a, there was, there's, in their thinking that Older was better. They were older and they were in better shape because even the Catholics weren't dumb enough to read them. You know? And they threw them away. The Word of God that we hold to is the King James Version of the Bible. And it's not a translation issue. It is a text issue issue. The King James Version of the Bible is translated from uh, from Hebrew, Masoretic text, and the Greek uh, Greek text, which we would call Textus Receptus. There are many other names. For instance, I've I've written some of them down. We call them the Majority Text, the Textus Receptus, the Antiochian Text, the Byzantine Text, or simply put, the Received Text. Because it has been received as authoritative from generation to generation to generation to generation. And there is more than just two manuscripts that our New Testament is translated from. I believe 
I may be off by a couple, but it's roughly 3,500 manuscripts, all of which overwhelmingly agree with themselves. And if you want to talk about that more, I'm happy to. But there's, but we have the Word of God. And we know that God has preserved it for us and that we have, we have in fact, God's Word. You know, there are, there are versions, we could call them perversions, because that's what they are, of God's Word, of the New American Standard perversion, uh, the English Standard Version, which is very popular today, it's a perversion. The NIV, we're not even going to call that a Bible. Um, the Living Translation or the Living Bible, it's a paraphrase. It's ridiculous. Um, the RSV, NIV, ESV, I don't know, all kinds of things. There's, there's a different one each week. And there's a, there's a great question, though, but what about, what about the New King James? Is that one okay? The New, King, the New King James, while they sought to redefine or better define words, what they ended up doing is changing the entire meaning of verses by, moving, by changing words, moving punctuation. And what has happened is it denies uh, and uh, fundamental doctrine such as the deity of Christ, the vicarious atonement of Christ. And uh, I've got a book in my office. I would recommend it. It's written really well. If you want to write it down, it's entitled A More Sure Word. And it's written by Dr. R.B. Willette, and it is, it is very simple, very easy to understand. He articulates it better than I ever could. And, uh, but a very, very helpful book. But, um, but let's, let's come to a conclusion tonight and how God's Word applies to my life. How God's Word applies to my life. The Word of God ought to occupy a prominent place in our lives. Amen? I think we all agree with that. You see, God's Word helps us grow in our faith, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But in, in, in 2 Peter uh, chapter number 2, and actually this is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. God's word helps us grow, but it also extends to us precious promises and blessings and victory. In 2 Peter chapter number 1 in verse 4, and turn there, notice, it says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God's word, great promises of victory. Helps us resist temptation, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, but by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And it also provides us with God's life-changing power. For the word of God is quick and sharper than any two-edged sword. Christian, we must therefore read it daily. Turn in your Bibles 
to, to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And note what the Bible says in verse number 15. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And Christians, as we read God's word and grow in our understanding of it, we become responsible to obey it. Turn to Joshua 1.8 as we close tonight. Joshua 1.8. Is everybody there? I want you to see this. Mark this verse in your Bible if you haven't yet. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. The man of God says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Friends, tonight we must understand the power of God's Word and the place God's Word ought to occupy in our lives. It is our sole authority for faith and practice. It is God's revelation of Himself to man. It is fully and completely inspired of God and preserved to us just as God promised. And you and I would do well to take heed to what the Word of God says. Read it diligently. uh, Memorize it uh, regularly. Meditate on it continually. And obey it consistently the Word of God. Everything stems from this book. And at Pickerington Baptist Temple, it's important to recognize that we are a Bible-believing church. Not a Bible-excusing church. A Bible-believing church. And uh, may God help us read it, know it, and obey it. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we love You. We thank You for Your Word tonight. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're glad that it's not man's word, but it is, in truth, the word of God. And uh, we pray, God, that you'd help us remember the truth that we've seen tonight. And Lord, help us give your word its rightful place. Help us read it, know it, and obey it. And Lord, may our lives be strengthened thereby. May our families be strengthened. Lord, may our church be strengthened. And uh, may Jesus Christ be exalted. And uh, we pray that the Word of God would always occupy the place of prominence, the place of preeminence in our lives. And uh, Lord, we pray for a safety on the, ro- on the way home. I know the roads are probably slick as it's been snowing, but Lord, bring us all back together Sunday at the next appointed time. May we be ready, may we be anticipating and excited uh, to hear from you on Sunday. Lord, use us uh, to be a testimony to the lost as we come to the end of this week. Help us, Lord, see people come to know Christ. Lord, help us see people saved this week. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being in church.